Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. Okay, hi everybody and welcome to our weekly classes with mikvah.org. Uh, we have so many classes we've been doing all year. I welcome you to go check them all out, mikvah.org forward slash media. If you'd like to join our broadcast to hear the latest on our classes, you're welcome to send me a message, 732-534-2948 with just asking, add me to the broadcast. You can also follow us on social media at my mikvah on Instagram, my uh mikvah.org on facebook um let's get started okay and we also have an amazing podcast all these classes get turned into podcasts mikvah.org on your favorite streaming platform so today we are fortunate to have sarhana silverstein who is so well known all around the world she is a master herbalist and a classical homeopath she's a, a lactation consultant who's been extremely helpful to thousands of women and no less important, maybe it should have been number one, that she's a mom of seven. So uh, without any further ado, we're going to have Khan, Sarahana Silverstein, who's named Queen Silverstein there, I guess, uh, that's apropos, <laughs> to understanding and improving the Nida cycle. <laughs> oh okay. my gosh, hold on. <laughs> I'm laughing out loud because someone just <laughs> redid my computer and put that down as kind of a joke. So, okay, let's let's share my screen. Let's get this going. Okay. All right. Can everybody see the screen? That's the most important thing. Yes. Go ahead. Yep. Okay. Excellent. So, thank you. Um, everybody for joining this evening. I hope you will walk away with a lot of new insight, a lot of questions, um, and a lot of new um, ideas about um, women and their bodies and our cycles in life. So let's see if we can change the screen. Okay, so hopefully this lecture will cover, but I sometimes get diverted. What is blood? I want everyone to fall in love with blood herbs to build blood and help with staining, women's normal cycles, challenges of the cycles, what is the normal bleeding pattern after a baby, when to be worried about bleeding, bleeding while breastfeeding, bleeding while pregnant, menopause, of course, herbs, 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 and we're going to jump in a little and I'm going to discuss a little bit about birth control. Um, obviously, everyone out there is going to get their heter for birth control, that's between you and your husband and your rub, but it is something that I've dealt with for the past 28 years in my office. So I want to share the insights and questions and challenges with everybody out there. So first and foremost, blood is our friend. So obviously when you're going to the mikvah, you're checking for blood, you're looking for blood. Um, blood can sometimes seem like it's our enemy. Why am I bleeding? Why am I bleeding today? I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to a Pesach program. And the answer is that it is very healing for our bodies. 
Blood is the primary means of transportation for both the helpful and harmful substances in your body. Blood will help bring oxygen, minerals, vitamins, hormones through our body. And it will also help us deal with, with heavy metals and toxins. So blood is vital in our lives. So I want us to understand that in order to be alive, you must have blood flowing through your body. Blood is the only substance that touches our eyelashes, our toenails, under our arms, behind our ear, in our hair. It's the only substance that touches every single part of our internal being. So as I said before, body cannot work without blood. And it is vitally important to understand that blood is an incredible highway through our body. It, it's, it repairs damage and it keeps things in check. So what's very, very interesting is that we have never been able to make synthetic blood. We can put human beings on the moon. We can have satellites. We can have the iron dome, the mathematical equation that tells exactly where the iron dome re meet, reaches the rockets. We have little computer chips this big um, that can, can have us make uh, take a picture here and have the picture go to Australia within moments but there is no man-made human blood. Despite more than 70 years of research, scientists have been unable to develop a blood substitute. For a blood substitute to work, it must be able to mimic the ability of red blood cells to carry oxygen. So anybody out there, you wanna make millions and millions of dollars, figure out how to make blood. That's a big need out there in the world. Let me turn off my phone, guys. Sorry. Sorry, I turned that off before. I apologize. So, blood heals. Blood is vital for healing tissue, whether we're having an issue in our vaginal canal, whether we're having issues in the ducts of our breasts, whether we're having it from an epidural that's injected into our spine. Blood goes to the area that it needs to, and it heals. As a matter of fact, there's certain surgeries that are done um, with, um, mm, I forget exactly what it's called, but they will literally like scrape the bone to have blood come to the surface and then reattach ligaments. So blood, again, I'm hoping you guys are all falling a little bit in love with blood. It is not the death the evil. It is not negative. It is extremely, extremely important in our bodies. We've got to honor it. We've got to be besimcha about it. And if we're seeing blood, there's a very specific reason why our brain is reading an issue in our bodies and it will send blood to the area that's needed. So how much blood do we have? We have a lot of blood. We have 5.5 liters of blood minimum. Oh, humans have 1.3, which is five liters of blood, which is a lot of blood. We have blood all the time in our body. And we're gonna talk about rejuvenating and building that blood. And that's like a lot of blood. It, it's, it's a huge amount. So hold on, do I say, okay, I wanna say this. And when we're pregnant, we have 
double the amount of blood in our bodies. So that's a very important thing to understand. The top picture is how much blood we have. The bottom picture is how much blood we get when we're pregnant. So this is not a lecture on varicose veins, but just to throw in, if your blood cells are this big when you're not pregnant and you get pregnant, your veins need to double their size, double the width, and the veins need to be able to stretch and then pump the blood through our body and go like this and bring our blood from our heart through our body back up to our toes. So when we get varicose veins or hemorrhoids or any stagnation of blood, it means that the vitality of the lining of the of the veins are not intact. Think about a pair of nylons. You've worn them like three or four times. When you take them off your body, you can see the heel, you can see the toes, you can see the knees. That's what happens to our, our veins. So it's very important. We're gonna talk about that throughout the lecture to keep our veins intact so that our blood, which is needed, can flow through our body properly. So I wanna mention that there's four different types of blood. We have A, B, AB, and O, and it's very, very different. <clears throat> A's in clinical studies get different diseases than B's. B's get different diseases than AB's, and AB's get different diseases than O's. There's not a lot of research being done in the US, but for instance, AB's have excess platelets, which means they clot too quickly. So it's kind of very interesting. If you look at the picture all the way to the right, you can see the different spikes we hear during the COVID about the spikes on the COVID. Look at the little spikes on our cells. You can see how different the O looks and how different all the blood types look. Isn't that amazing? So O is the universal um, provider. Every single blood type can have blood type O, which you can see because it doesn't have spikes on it. And I'm an AB and sorry, no one can take my blood except for other ABs because look at how complicated those little cells are. Fascinating. So I want to talk very quickly about blood typing. It was discovered only before 1930. For 5,700 years, people didn't know that some people had A blood, some people had O blood, some people had B blood. In one family, you can have three to four different blood typing. And the philosophy of doctors was as long as you have blood, you're good to go. So it was actually a Jewish scientist who was looking under a microscope and he found the different bloods. Why? Why does it even matter the different blood typing? So, so well, let me just go back. So hold on, I just wanna see where I was going with this. So Dr. Landsteiner um, discovered blood typing. What was blood typing important for? So when soldiers in the war would either get gunshot wounds or knife wounds, they would be these big six foot two guys strong and they would just bleed out. And doctors were like, well, how do we stop this blood? So what they did was they did a blood transfusion from a healthy soldier to a non-healthy soldier. They would actually take an IV and they would attach it from a live healthy soldier to the unhealthy soldier. What they found out that 
all the soldiers within 24 hours felt better and 50% would die and 50% would not. And they did not understand this. And when Dr. Landsteiner came in, he started to explain it. So at the beginning of World War II, A's got A blood, B's got B blood, O got A blood. We didn't even know about blood type AB. And we didn't know that there was universal donors, which is a blood type O. So here's the sad part. Hitler heard about Landsteiner's work. So he decided he wanted to know who, what is the perfect blood type? What should the Aryan blood type be? Should it be B, should it be A? So in the Eastern Bloc and in America, blood typing got very, very, very negative. Nobody wanted to know about blood typing. Don't tell me good blood. Don't tell me bad blood. That's not anything I want to discuss. But in China, Korea, and Japan, where Hitler did not have an influence, although in Japan a little bit, blood typing became very big. And in Korea and China, all your doctors know your blood type. They give different medicines to blood type A's than they do O and different medicine from O to B. So blood typing is not Bubba Misa, ladies. It's not. It's something that has not become popularized in America yet, but it will be down the line. And you can say you heard it from Sarah Khanna first here. I believe with medications that A's and B's will do differently with different medications. And if they broke up the blood typing, when they did clinical double-blind studies, they would definitely see that certain medications work for different blood types. That's our future besides stem cell therapy. Um, okay, let's go on. So I wanna talk for an, another second because there was two other Jewish scientists during World War II that was in DP camps in Greece. And these two doctors, husband and wife team would literally take blood of soldiers and would give them like crusts of bread. And in the DP camp, they found the fourth blood type AB. So blood typing is very associated with our Jewish brilliant minds. So over here, I just want everyone to understand, again, we're falling in love with this, with this lecture. We're, we're concerned with Taras HaMishpacha, which is all about counting our bleeding, looking at our bleeding, anticipating our bleeding, finding out whether we're having stains. But first, let's re-fall in love with it. One of the reasons I wanted to do this lecture is because I want all our young girls, when they get married, to not fear a stain, not think of blood as the bad thing. Blood is their power. Blood is their kayak. Blood is, is, is what keeps them alive and vital. Yes, it's true. We can have a shayla, but we need to be basimcha about the shayla. It just means that our body needs to take a break. I mean, it was very interesting because um, as an herbalist, I help with fertility. I help with staining. Um, I help with so many things around blood. And this husband called me up because his wife was bleeding too long. This was not a Chabad guy. <laughs> he was, he called up bleeding too long. She can bleed for 10 or 11 days and he can't take it anymore. He needs her to go to the mikvah earlier. I was like, okay, well, maybe you'll send your wife into me. Like, can't really do this on the phone. So she comes in, Baruch Hashem, she had 10 children. She was completely overwhelmed. He didn't understand that she needed more cleaning help. She needed more assistance. He was just like, you know, like, let's go. We can have more babies. And she was like, Sarkhana, I can't. And it was the 
biggest bracha from Shemayim that she was missing her ovulation. She was missing her ovulation every month. She so desperately needed a break. So this was her body's way of protecting her whole being. Now, of course, they should have a mashpia. They need to have a rub. They need to sit down and have therapy. But it's shocking sometimes, shocking. I have one more story as we go on. I had a woman that came to me because she was staining in between periods and she wasn't able to be intimate with her husband that often. So the Rav sent her to me and I'm taking her history and anybody that's been to me knows that you're in my office an hour and a half. I talk a lot. I ask a lot of questions. And when I'm asking her all these questions, all of a sudden she gets tears in her eyes um, at one point. And I didn't stop. I kept on pursuing the questions. At the end, when I felt she was more comfortable with me, I asked her again. I said, you know, you spoke about this topic. Why did you get tears in your eyes? She goes, Sarah Khan, I'm not allowed to talk about it. Not allowed to talk about it. I'm like, well, no one's here. Let's just talk about it. So it turned out that she was a young girl, maybe like 25. She had two kids, Baruch Hashem. And before she got married, her husband, when he was 18, had testacular cancer. And he went, got chemo, got cured, cured. And um, they brought him, had two kids. So I said to her, I said, well, what are you guys doing to prevent that Yenemachla from coming back? She said, oh, Sarkhana, we can't talk about it. His mother-in-law, we can't talk. We don't talk about it. I'm not even allowed to be talking to you about it. I said, well, you know, Baruch Hashem, it's gone, but like, maybe we should be doing something about it. Maybe you should be eating healthy food, you know, certainly getting checked regularly, certainly doing some exercise. And she started sobbing and said, Sarkhana, that's all I want. So you know why she was standing, ladies? Do you know why? Because she and I figured it out. If Chasa Shalom, he got sick again, she had two kids. She could handle two kids on her own if anything happened to him. Three kids, a little more intimidating. Five kids, she would have never handled it. So after our session, she spoke to her husband and said, can't be a secret anymore. Can't be. Like, I can't, I can't live with it. We need to talk about it. We need to explore it. Maybe we need to do some alternative medicine. Maybe we need to figure it out. And by the way, she stopped staining. Once there was a plan in place, she didn't stain anymore. So these are just some stories about when women are staining. Sometimes there's a very big reason behind it. Sometimes there's not a big reason. Sometimes a woman will give birth. She'll be sewn up. There'll be a little skin tag hanging. When she's intimate with her husband, he can rub against that skin tag. She can then start bleeding and not and become in need of. We don't even know where it's coming from. Sometimes women have um, yeast infections and they will have just a, a layer of yeast on their cervix. And when they're intimate with their husband, he can aggravate that and she can start bleeding. So those are not emotional reasons, of course. Those are not psychological reasons we need to explore. They are physical reasons. But so my point is, is that bleeding is a sign. It's a simon. It's something either emotional or it's something physical. So back to blood transfusions. So the bracha is, is that we realize that blood transfusions can save lives. And we're very thrilled to know about the different blood typing. So the question is, and I wanted to find slides on this. I was working on this um, before I sent it over. In ancient herbal medicine, they used to talk about people that had good blood and bad blood. 
And there were things like, oh gosh, you don't want to hang out with him. He's got bad blood. Oh, she's so good hearted. She's got such good blood is how they used to say. So there was this whole bad blood, good blood. Now we know there's no such thing as good blood, bad, good blood, bad blood. We know all blood is absolutely fabulous. But a lot of times we forget to eat foods that are blood building and blood building foods are important. And especially at the end of our pregnancies, especially when we're beginning to breastfeed, especially when we're beginning menopause or postmenopause, when our girls start menstruating, you want to start eating spinach, lettuce, arugula, kale, chlorophyll, which is the greens <coughs> um, inside the plants. We also want to eat liver if it's healthy, red meat, bone broth. These are foods that can what is called build our blood. It makes our blood vital and have the iron and nutrients inside our bloods, which is inside of our bodies. So here's the bottom line. Let's say you're not in the mood for a salad. You're like, I don't want a salad. So have two bites of lettuce. Just say, I'm not in the mood to have any kind of flesh tonight. Have two bites of it. Meaning you don't have to have a gourmet meal of these foods in order to build your blood. Okay. So we have a lot of blood flow to our pelvis. Our pelvis is very rich in blood. And it's very important that we have blood circulating in our pelvis all the time. Let's jump to the menstrual cycle for a minute. So one of the most important things I want to share in this lecture, very, very important, is that a 28-day cycle is just a mathematical algorithm. It does not mean that people really bleed for 28 days. As a matter of fact, there might be some of you out there, but it's pretty hard pressed to find someone that menstruates every 28 days. So if I was trying to teach a mathematical equation, I would take a mean number and then do all the other calculations after that. But women come in all the time, Sarhan, I don't have a 28 day cycle. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, my cycle's all over the place. Well, let me see your cycle. It's 23 days, it's 29 days, it's 24 days, it's 32 days, back to 28 days. Of course you have a cycle. You have a consistent, inconsistent cycle, but it's still a consistent cycle that's inconsistent, right? So 28 days is not normal and girls need to know that right off the bat, right off the bat. The second thing is that girls need to start counting their cycle when they're 16 years old. Not like the week before they're getting engaged. For me to help pick a chasana date, for me to be pretty accurate, I need 12 to 15 months. I need to see what their norm is, right? So I think it's very important in high school to teach girls to start looking at their cycles because it's a lot easier to fix that during that time period. So we have to normalize that an irregular cycle is normal. A regular cycle is hard to find. And 28 days, you know, when you're pregnant and you look at those little, those little, the little dials that the, that the doctors use, it's all in a 28 day cycle. But if you always had a 34 day cycle, there is no way that you can predict your due date according to that 28 day cycle 
psych, uh, little calendar they have. Does that make sense? So it's much more important for you to understand what your mojo is, what your cycle is when you're starting even to count when you expect to give birth to the baby. Because so many women that get induced early have trouble breastfeeding. The last reflex that comes into a baby's mouth is the suckling reflex. Inside the womb, they swallow amniotic fluid and urinate it out. Swallow amniotic fluid and urinate it out. But they don't suckle much. So whenever we induce babies early because of our due date, you're going to have a baby that's not going to coordinate, suck, swallow, breathe very well. So it's important to know your cycle. What is your cycle? Not a cycle that's predetermined by a mathematical algorithm. And the most important thing is that once a woman has a baby, for 99% of women, bye-bye to the five-day clean day. I mean, cycle, no way. It is hard pressed to find a woman that's gonna only have a five-day cycle after she's had one or two children does not exist. And what becomes normal is a six to seven day cycle. So women come in all the time. They've had three kids. Sarhan, I have to go back to five days. Not gonna happen in this lifetime. And women are taking their bioflavonoids and they're, they're sitting there drinking lemon water and they're sitting in the bathtub for two or three days and they're freaking out about it. Talk about anxiety. And by the way, if nobody noticed, Jewish women, tend to have a little more anxiety. This is so anxiety ridden about these drops of blood, which I'm trying to share with you is a refua. It's a healing. It's the best thing that happens to us. So please normalize that after a baby, it's six to seven days, get over it. That's the reality of our bodies. Five days, uh-uh, not gonna happen. So menstruation, Baruch Hashem, in the Jewish world is not taboo. Um, but in other places in the world, they used to have these menstruation huts where people, young girls were literally expelled from their homes. They couldn't be in the main home. They made these little huts outside, which made them vulnerable to animals, to tigers, to lions, to, to bobcats. It's terrible stories of men that would get drunk and would go looking for these young girls, 12 years old, 13 years old, alone in these huts. So I just wanted to share with you that that as Yidin, we need to be proud. We've got to be strong about our bleeding. Yes, we have a lachas around it for sure, but it's not taboo. Look at these cultures, so sad. The stories are just terrible. I also want to say another thought um, that menstrual pads are, are actually very new. I mean, they really started to become commercialized in the 1950s, the late 1940s. Before that, women used to just take old pieces of cloth and make their own kinds of pads. They used to use safety pins. They used to use tape, glue. They used to do different things. So we really need to teach our young girls to honor and respect the stages that we're in, where we have this ability to understand the blessing of blood, to understand the blessing of even having a tampon or having a pad. So I thought you'd find that interesting. The history of menstrual pads is fascinating.
So I want to talk for a moment about other reasons that we can bleed and stain. And one of them is urinary tract infections. Very, very common during pregnancy, very common during times in our lives. Very often we can see stains and it's really from a UTI. So I just want to mention some things that I've seen over my, over my experience. Um, and the number one thing is do not get a Brazilian wax. A Brazilian wax is not a great idea for most women. We were created with hair in our private area and the hair is there to actually protect us from dirt, bacteria, and viruses. So it's a different thing to cut the hair. You can definitely wax a bikini line, but you need hair there. I can't tell you how many women had UTIs, chronic, and they would come to me and we would just stop this Brazilian wax and it was cured. I mean, you know, as an herbalist, I was losing money because I wasn't selling them herbs. But my whole point as an herbalist is to get people to get better. If they don't need herbs, how fabulous is that? Different lubricants that you use can block the urethra. The urethra is actually a little tunnel, a little tube that comes out through our vaginal canal. And those lubricants, they get thick, they get dry and they can block it. And that's how we can get a UTI, right? So I have up here, cocoa butter which tends to be very easy to use. Most people are not allergic to it and it doesn't coagulate. So it's very, very important to make sure that you're using something that doesn't coagulate. Coagulate means stick together. So when you look at these KY jellies and these other jellies, they really put them out on a little piece of tissue and you're gonna see that they coagulate and harden. Antibiotic use can cause it, and herbs really do help. So let's jump to herbs for a moment. So herbs um, are used all over the world. I talk about the Japanese tea ceremony, where Japanese girls take two years to learn the, um, the ceremony of tea, which is actually just serving an herb tea. It's the temperature, the, 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 how much herb is in there. And I was laughing so hard because I was watching this, this series called um, Call the Midwife. It was a BBC series and I heard it was fabulous about midwives and it was hysterical because anytime a crisis happened, they'd say, oh, I've got to make a pot of tea. Like there would be like a woman bleeding, hemorrhaging after birth. And the midwife would say, oh, let's just, let's just go get a pot of tea. And so what made me laugh was that herbal tea is so much a part of so many people's cultures. In England, they have tea time. So I wanted to share this with you because I think normalizing tea and especially herb tea is something that's very important. So if you're going to use a medicinal herb tea, you can't put one tea bag in the cup. You need to put three or four tea bags because if you put one medicinal tea bag in the cup what's going to happen is you're going to flavor the water but you're not going to have a medicinal quality to it and I want to let you ladies know that I only watch Call the Midwife <laughs> because I deal with postpartum women and I really wanted to see the protocol because it was really based on it was written by a midwife it was fabulous 
Okay, so I, Sarahana, prefer herbs in tincture form. I find it very impossible for my New York clients, my LA clients who are neurotic, crazy, overwhelmed, juggling 5,000 million things at the same time to sit down, have the cup of tea and relax. Not going to happen with my clients. So when you have a tincture like this, you can literally put it in your shirt like that to remember to take it. When we used to wear halats, it was great because you could just put your tincture in your halat pocket. This is herb in tincture or liquid form. And I'm gonna show you how herbs are made in a moment. And I find that it's quick and efficient to use herbs in tincture form. So this is how midwives have used herbs for 5,700 years. We would take a dried or fresh plant we would put grain alcohol or vinegar or honey over the herb. You would let it sit for four to six weeks and then strain it. So why did we put our herbs in grain alcohol? And the reason is because herbs are at their vitality of strength for maybe two to six weeks, and then they either overgrow flower or die down. So let's talk about an herb called shepherd's purse. Shepherd's purse is the most famous herb for staining and shepherd's purse is almost totally ineffective in tea form. It is ridiculous to give shepherd's purse in tea form and no midwife where we used to use it for hemorrhage would ever give shepherd's purse in tea form. When you see shepherd's purse, it only is valid for six weeks it dries out very quickly. It actually grows through the, the cracks of concrete in Crown Heights. So if anybody wants to do a medicinal weed walk with me <laughs> um, around Crown Heights, just send me an email. You can find my email on my website and you can sign up your email on my website because I will let you know when I'm doing these walks. But through the streets of con uh, the through the concrete streets in Crown Heights, we have Shepherd's Purse. It grows for only six weeks. That means the midwives were grabbing it very, very quickly. And we would put it right away in grain alcohol because if you let a plant dry out, you lose its essential oils and its vitamins and minerals. So if I was giving birth with a woman, I would only use a tincture. Once a plant is placed in tincture, it has a 10-year shelf life. So Hashem says in Tehillim that he gave grass for the cattle and herbs for the service of man. And the word there is service. And Hashem also says that he put the refua in the world before the illness. And Hashem created plants and trees before man. So as an herbalist, I believe that our refua is here in the plants, trees. When we make a, we use an herb, we use some plants, the root, some plants, the bark of the tree, some plants, the flowers, some plants, the seeds, sometimes the leaves. And even in one plant, we can have, we can have five different uses depending on what part of the plant that we use. When we take, make an herbal mix, we take the plant in its entirety, put it in a glass jar, pour grain alcohol over it. Again, I'm repeating, let it sit for six to eight weeks and strain it. You ladies don't have to learn to make your own herbs. We have great herbs with Hacksherim on them, but I just want to share with you. I mean, herbs are so important for, to us in the Beis Migdash. We had a Mizbeach where we 
burnt our herbs. We burnt plants. I mean, it was such a big, important part of our lives. I really know that post-World War II, when all the midwives were lost, Rahmana, that we lost what was called our wise woman wisdom. I can tell you, fascinating, in the book, Luckle of Hamlin, which I should have put up here, I apologize. It's a book written by a Jewish woman, I believe, in the 1600s. It's a fascinating book, long story, time for another lecture. But what's fascinating in this book written in the 1600s is she talks about Shabbos and an herb she's making. She talks about Yuntif and then she talks about the herb Yarrow. So it's so fascinating to her keeping Shabbos, keeping Yuntif, making herbs into medicine was just normal place. And the reason I do lectures now all over the country to, for Jewish groups is to start normalizing our plants even more so. We see that after World War II, when we went into Eretz Yisrael, it was it was a barren desert. No, no trees, very few things growing, mostly sand. And Yidin, after surviving World War II, our Hungarian, our Sparty Jews went in there with their hands and worked the soil. And we have one of the top agricultures in Israel, in the country, in the world. So agriculture is part of our existence. They say that when the Yemenite Jewish women were leaving their land and coming to Eretz Yisrael, they would stop and pick up the plants with the roots and put it in their pockets so they could ensure that they had their medicinal plants in the land of Israel when they arrived. So here's some herbs to regulate our cycles. Again, you don't need to know about them, but you need to know that there are herbs that are out there. We have the most popular herb called chaseberry vitex. And again, I'm not regulating an herb to have a woman have a 28 day cycle with five days bleeding. I need to see the last 12, 15 months of her cycle to see who she is, what her body is doing, how her blood is reacting in her body. But chaseberry vitex is a phenomenal herb. Ashwagandha is an amazing herb. It can help balance the thyroid if it's a little too hypoactive, underactive. Some ashwagandha can help regulate those cycles. Marjoram, which is a spice in clinical studies, can really help women with polycystic ovaries. And I also love the herb called saw palmetto. Saw palmetto is an herb that helps lower the testosterone levels. So if we have women that have erratic cycles, I'm talking like 15 days, 60 days, 22 days, 47 days, sometimes we have to lower their testosterone and saw palmetto is an amazing herb for that. Herbs to get clean faster. Now, I've never found in my experience that to shorten the end of the cycle works very well. And again, shepherd's purse is the most famous, most famous. I don't believe it's used properly, unfortunately, and I feel there's a lot of misinformation about it. So when I have a woman that is missing her ovulation, can't get to the mikvah on time, or really is bleeding like three days before her period begins and then three days after her cycle ends, that's not a good cycle. What you're supposed to do is bleed light on day one, very heavy on day two, three, lighten up on day four, five, possibly get clean by six or day seven. But I really want bleeding in day two to four. 
two to three. So in my experience working with so many fertility clients, so many women that are just bleeding out of control, besides honoring their blood, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make them bleed heavier at the beginning of their period. Because when you get your cycle, the lining of your uterus is usually this thin. Then the cycle, boom, right before you bleed, your uterus almost triples in size. It's very, very thick. So the lining of the uterus has to come down. So if we're trying to shorten it, there's still blood there. That's why we're getting drip, 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 drip. So I have found that if we increase the bleeding in the beginning, we're letting the lining of the uterus fall, then we can get women cleaner faster than trying other methods. The herbs I like are mugwort, which grows all over Crown Heights in the spring on everybody's lawn. Again, I've shown put the fool in the world before the illness. It grows everywhere. Ginger, which is a root plant, and angelica, which is the plant to the left, those little beautiful um, flowers, the little white ones. That's angelica and we use the root. So for excess bleeding, what does excess bleeding mean? To me, it's four days before your cycle, a seven-day cycle, and then three days bleeding. That's ridiculous. Nobody wants to spend that kind of money on pads. Nobody wants to go with Shilas. That like can make a woman who's already a little anxious ridden like out of her mind. I found that a lot of times these women are anemic. And if we check their iron levels, and again, I'm making up this number, I think it's between 30 and 60, got so many numbers to remember. But if she's at 31, I'm making up those numbers, then her doctors are fine. She's not anemic, but she may need to be up to 60. There's something called an, an anemia B12 deficiency. They work together, they're the shidduch. It's iron levels and B12 levels. I know everyone's obsessed about vitamin D, which has its place, but for us, it's iron and B12. So B12 levels, I do know those. The typical, the typical level is between 600 and 1200. And if girls or women are at 625, it's usually not enough. So I have found that if we take a very good natural iron substance, um, substitute, um, not like one that you buy in the pharmacy, a really good herbal iron, and we get some B12 shots, women tend to stop bleeding so much and so often. B12 is not, it doesn't work in pill form. The sublingual or oral B12 doesn't work as well as the shots. It has to go in the muscles. And I find that to be amazing. We also want to eat a lot of green plants with excess bleeding, as many as you can figure out how to check them. But I want arugula, I want spinach, I want any dark leafy vegetable, very important. You can increase your vitamin C and bioflavonoids. That's not a long-term cure, but it can help in the moment. And blackstrap molasses is one of my favorite ways to get iron. It's a wonderful, it's very inexpensive. You can look on my website or in the back of my book, Moodtopia. Um, in my book, Moodtopia, I have some great recipes in the back of the book. And that's also about how to make a blackstrap molasses drink. So we do have something called pelvic congestion syndrome. Um, acupuncture will help 
very much with this. That's when the blood gets to the pelvis and just hangs out there. Women can feel bloated. They can have a lot of varicose veins around their vaginal area. They can feel very heavy pressure during their cycle. Uh, my favorite thing is for women to do a headstand. Literally, I have a little headstand, <laughs> um, little little thing in my house where you can sit there and anyways, <laughs> or a yoga headstand. I started doing headstands feels fabulous. Um, but that can get the blood away from the pelvis area. Um, sometimes there's medication needed for pelvis congestion syndrome. There are herbs that can help. Very often these women have a very thick blood. They have a high fibrinogen count. So if we thin the blood with some vitamin E or different herbs and possibly get some acupuncture, we can get rid of this um, congested syndrome. So polyps and fibroids are another reason women can bleed. Um, most women that get uterine polyps have what we call irregular periods. And again, irregular to me is not 28 days, 32 days, 38 days. I'm talking more like 16, 47, 28. Fibroids grow, can grow on the inside of the uterus. They can also grow on the outer side of the uterus. And these can cause, stain, cause staining and bleeding. Sometimes you can have a little polyp at the end of your, on your cervix, very easy to remove. And those polyps can bleed very easily, very quickly when you do it a, a badika. And fibroids sometimes are surgically removed. I like to use homeopathy with fibroids. I find that they work very well. But if you're working with a woman or yourself, you're having staining, you're taking all your vitamin C, you're taking your shepherd's purse, you're making yourself crazy, you're going to the rub every two minutes, sometimes it's time to go to a doctor and find out if you have a fibroid because fibroids and polyps are quite easily fixed. So here back, as I discussed before, pregnant women have, the, have doubled their blood supply. The blood can increase by 20% or as much as 100% the pre-pregnancy levels. So it's just very important to know that um, all this excess blood, we still need to pump it through the body. And that's why women can feel tired, overwhelmed, bloated. And if they're not in shape before they get pregnant, if their veins are not in shape, they can get pelvis congestion also when they're pregnant. And this is very difficult for women. It feels very uncomfortable. So here's some more herbs for pregnancy. And again, helping to get a woman pregnant is very different than when she's already pregnant. There are so many herbs for fertility. I just want to share that with all of you. I have a lot of clients that have had two or three failed attempts at IVF, in vitro fertilization. And they just, it's so expensive and they don't have the money to do it again. And when we put these women on herbs for anywhere from three to 12 months, usually minimally six months, we find that then the IVF sticks. So when you work with an herbalist for infertility issues or fertility issues, the herbs are complementary to what the doctor's intervention. I mean, like we, we had a client in the office and we have to confirm this, but her fallopian tubes were completely blocked, completely. She had a baby? She had a baby? Yeah. 
my daughter told me she had a baby like okay her fallopian tubes were completely blocked they were completely blocked she was living in another country she had found out they were completely blocked she was referred to me i said let's just confirm i sent her to my doctor my doctor checked and said sarahana there's nothing you can do her tubes are completely blocked so i said okay i mean if they're completely blocked i mean what can I do? So she said to me, Sarah Hanna, I've been doing herbs because we had, before we knew they were completely blocked, we had been doing herbs. And she said, you know what? Let me just keep on doing my herbs. I mean, like, what's it going to do? And the next thing I know, she sent us a message on WhatsApp. Can she take the herbs when she's pregnant? So I didn't even put two and two together and figure out what it was. And I said, yeah, you don't need to. I mean, they're not dangerous, but you don't need to take it. And Baruch Hashem, she had a baby. So I can't even explain to you what the herbs did. But somehow, Nisim Nisim, those herbs went in there because they're Hashem's refuah. They're Hashem's medicine. They're our gift from Hashem. And I don't know. He opened the flopium tubes. Okay, maybe he could have made the nace without the herbs, but she had been married many, many years before taking the herbs. So there you go, some miracle stories. So here are some herbs to take during pregnancy. Red raspberry leaf is the most popular herb while you're pregnant. Um, I'm a little concerned about red raspberry leaf. It's a drying agent. Um, it can dry out your sinuses. If you are, are, are an over moist person, it can help dry you out a bit. So you have to be really careful. If you have dry skin, dry eyes, dry vaginal canal, dry hands, be a little weary with red raspberry, or at least cut it, have half red raspberry and have something else. It also will not bring on labor. That's like another terrible fallacy. Like really, I go crazy hearing this red raspberry does not bring on labor. What raspberry leaf tea does is it tones the uterus. So if someone has a prolapsed uterus, prolapsed bladder, then it is a very good idea to take red raspberry because it's an astringent and it'll pull the tissue together. I like strawberry leaves better. It's not as astringent. It works similarly to red raspberry leaves. I don't know why it's not as popular, but strawberry leaf tea is a great drink, um, a great tea to drink during pregnancy. Chaste tree vitex is something that helps women hold on to pregnancies if they have repeated misses. And nettles, alfalfa, and oats are phenomenal blood building. Remember we spoke about building the blood, herbs, um, nettles, and red raspberry dynamo combination. Strawberry leaves and nettles, I like even more. Alfalfa and strawberry leaves, love it. Nettles and alfalfa are our green herbs, very high in chlorophyll, very high in nutrients, and oats give strength. It's got a lot of B vitamins in it, so if you're exhausted and stressed out, oats can really help. Back to infertility, it's very interesting, though, because um, infertility is considered after having unprotected intimacy for 12 months. It's very interesting because a lot of times it's the man and not the woman. I had a woman that came to me and her periods were all over the place. Um, she was a blood type O, not eating a lot of protein. Blood type O's need a very high protein diet. Her periods were 15 days, 45 days, 65 days. So she came to me and we, we, we helped balance her blood sugar levels. We got her to eat more protein. But the day she walked in, I said, you know, I don't think you're really having the fertility problem. I think it's your husband. She said, no, 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 can't be my husband. It can't be my husband. I rubbed said, you have to work on me first, work on me first. I said, no problem. We took 
took about six months of herbs. Her herbs got her periods got very regulated. And I looked at her and I said, by the way, I think it's your husband. Well, it turned out that he did indeed have a varicose vein, which is a vein that can prevent um, the sperm from releasing from his body properly. It was about another three months before he could get the surgery that was needed. And so she called me up and she goes, well, if it's really my husband, can I stop taking the herbs? I'm like, no, no, you had terrible cycles before. No, 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 take those herbs, take those herbs. So she ended up taking her herbs, Baruch Hashem, three kids later, everything's fine and everything's working out. And she occasionally needs some herbs, but she's either been pregnant or breastfeeding for the last three years, Baruch Hashem. Some of the herbs I love for infertility is Chinese peony. Peony is that beautiful um, pink flower. Look at how gorgeous it is. It's one of our herbs used most for fertility. We've got some shadavari, which is in the lower right corner, that beautiful green plant. Shadavari is a moisturizer used in India to help with fertility. Ladies' mantle is in the upper right-hand corner. That's a plant used all over the world to help with fertility. Licorice root is what we use. That's that root plant. And then look at that gorgeous Vitex chaseberry tree beautiful purple flowers, gorgeous, gorgeous, but it's the berries we like to use for fertility, that berries come after the um, flowers. So there's something I like called Mayan uterine massage. Very interesting. If you look at old midwifery journals, they used to say that after a, a woman gives birth, you're supposed to flop her on her stomach, push her pelvis back in place, throw her back over on her back and start doing an intense uterine massage to get that uterus to go back to its place. Isn't it amazing if someone will put our pelvis back in place after giving birth? Wow. We have five bones that make up the pelvis. They all move and expand and are not connected when we're pregnant and they don't, I mean, when we give birth and they don't always come back into place. So Mayan uterine massage can help with women that have irregular cycles. It can help with women post baby. It can help with women before they have babies, just to pull that uterus into place, get that pelvis bone into place. I wish we had more practitioners. We don't in our firm communities that do Mayan uterine massage, but it restores balance to the uterus and allows it to heal itself. And sometimes when I have women that have this staining, they can take some herbs and get a couple uterine massages and they're good to go. So this is really why I'm giving this lecture, why I reached out to mikvah.org and said, please let me speak, because this is the most misunderstood information that I have heard in the last 28 years. Very few women are clean six weeks after they give birth. Six weeks is just a Western medical time frame to make sure the uterus is going back and ascending up to its place. But most women, especially after they give birth to two babies, will have what is called an eight-week breastfeeding bleed. After you give birth, your uterus is down here very low. And it starts to contract. I'm getting up on my toes. It starts to contract and you're bleeding and you're going to be clean at three weeks and bleed at four weeks, clean at five weeks, bleed at six weeks. And then you're going to have this period where like, 
oh my gosh, I'm now going to be clean forever. But then the uterus needs to ascend back up to its second resting place. And as it ascends up, you start bleeding. It is from your uterus. You are in Nita. But sometimes women post baby can go to the mikvah at six, six and a half weeks and will start bleeding again at nine, 10 weeks. 99% of the time, it is not your period. If you bleed between, and yes, there are some women that have babies, two babies in 12 months. I know, I know, but it's not the norm. That's the exception. If you start bleeding again, between nine and 10 weeks, nine and 12 weeks, it is called your eight to 10 week breastfeeding bleed. It is normal, normal, normal. Your blood is going back in there at eight to 10 weeks. It's repairing any damage that could have been done to the uterus, the cervix, any of the veins in the area, and it's healing it. That blood is healing it. So we need to honor this bleeding. We need to be besimcha that we're bleeding. And we've got to share this information. In my office, I don't even give herbs to stop staining until 12 months because it's very important for that second bleed. If your body needs it, you need that bleed. So I just wanted to throw out just information, information that it says in the Gemara that a Shem makes a chesed and turns the breast milk from red to white. So women are not repulsed by breastfeeding their babies. So if we think about babies in our womb, they're fed by the placenta and ladies, what are they fed? Blood, nine months, blood glows through the placenta into the baby. They say in old midwifery journals that we have the internal uterus and we have the external uterus. The external uterus is our breasts. We are feeding our babies blood. So it's very important to know that even if you hadn't given birth for five years and you hadn't breastfed for five years and someone dropped a baby off on your doorstep, even if you weren't breastfeeding, you could put the baby to your breast and within 24 hours, you'd make enough milk for that baby. So you cannot run out of breast milk unless you have a thyroid problem, that's a whole nother discussion. Or you have a condition called insufficient glandular tissue, IGT, which is for another lecture. But you cannot run out of breast milk on Yom Kippur. You cannot run out of breast milk on Tisha B'Av. Right, 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 right. Yes, my daughter just said that's, that's certain. They, we need to fast during those times, Maria. Right, you have to fast during Kippur. And it, 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 right. Feed, feed your baby, right. Yeah. So my daughter was just saying that, like, if Hashem thought that we couldn't feed our babies, Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av, we would not have to fast. So if Hashem is telling us we're supposed to breastfeed, Shachanach says you can breastfeed a baby until age four if they're healthy and until age five if they're unhealthy. And the Chachanim say the minimum age of breastfeeding minimum is 24 months right if you don't breastfeed that long it's totally fine i'm just giving it or at all for sure <laughs> my daughter is saying like i don't want anybody to feel bad out there i'm just telling you the science but if you don't breastfeed it's okay i just want to share with you because this is so important to understand during yom kippur during during tishbub 
you can feel nauseous, you can have a headache, you can feel sick, you can feel nauseous, you can feel dizzy. I'm not saying people are going to feel good during a fast, but you can't run out of breast milk. The day after a fast, of course, we all feel terrible, whether you're nursing, whether you're not, whether you're pregnant, whether you're not. But the most important thing to know is nobody's running out of breast milk during, during um, fasting. Yes, it's true. If our blood sugar levels drop, some women can have some issues with breast milk, but not for a 24 hour period. Okay. Let's talk for a moment about miscarriages. Miscarriages are obviously a reason you bleed. Most women that have miscarriages can bleed for up to six weeks after they have their miscarriage. I get so many phone calls of women. I just had a miscarriage. I want to be clean in 48 hours. Okay. I also want to be five foot eight, super skinny, able to eat anything that I want. But being clean 48 hours after a miscarriage, no way, no way. It takes a couple weeks because the lining of the uterus, what, what you're miscarrying in the early stages is not even the fetus. It's the lining of the uterus that became thick. I also want to say something about placenta. Um, it's called Procreta. So there was a very bad stage in our history, like 15, 20 years ago, where when women were getting C-section, they would get what was called single, single layer suturing. And they would suture up the C-section wound and there would be some gaps. And then when they got pregnant again, the placenta would grow past the uterus and attach to other organs. And there was a period of time where I was getting a lot of phone calls about women that were getting hysterectomies after their C-section. So your doctors are probably gonna be really upset, but you need to ask them, if I need a C-section, will you give me a double layer suturing? Because they suture this way and they, they suture on both sides. And that way, when your uterus is shrinking back down from this giant watermelon down to the size of a pear, we don't have any little gaps. And this was for a while, a really big problem. So I was like, why are they doing single layer? And I heard that from the insurance companies, they were encouraging <laughs> doctors to do single layer because thread is expensive and they didn't want them to use double the amount of thread and doctors' times are so important. And if they're doing a double layering, it could take double the amount of time. I don't know what was going on. Baruch Hashem, I haven't seen in a while. But after a miscarriage, if you get a DNC, you also can get a scraping or a wound on that uterus. So it's always best if you can to miscarry naturally. Of course, it depends on how far along you are and be very aware with the DNC. Like if you're part of like a Medicaid clinic, I'd probably pay money to go to a high-end doctor that's a surgeon to do a scraping DNC if needed. That's just my experience in the office. Um, <clears throat> herbs that can help a miscarriage. Again, I want them to bleed more at first. Blue cohosh is an herb that we use to help bring on labor. When women are past their due date, blue cohosh can help. Angelica, mugwort, excuse me, ginger and rue. 
But if you do have a miscarriage and you want to work with an herbalist, I think it's, I mean, do it naturally. I think it's best to work with an herbalist. Okay. Well, of course, I'm going over time. Let me run through this again. I'm talking about birth control. Of course, you have to ask a Rav. You have to speak with your husband. But a lot of my clients get put on birth control just because of difficult births. And doctors will say, you, you bled too much postpartum. You can't have a baby for another 12 months. So even women that are you know, very from and don't want to go on birth control, they are stuck in a position where they need to. So it is a horrible, terrible idea to take the mini pill at your six week visit. It is totally inappropriate in my experience to take the mini pill at six weeks. You should not be taking the mini pill until 12 weeks postpartum. We're gonna talk about other things to use, but what happens is when you take the mini pill, it's called a progesterone only pill. The word gestation means to be pregnant. Pro means you are carrying a pregnancy. So a lot of women that take the birth control pill at the six week visit end up bleeding and staining for the next 10 weeks anyways, because the body says, oh my gosh, how can you be pregnant? You just gave birth. And that staining with the mini pill is usually because the body's trying to create a miscarriage. So it's best to wait until that uterus is back to its place. You've established your breastfeeding if you're breastfeeding. Very, very, very important. With the mini pill, you must be nursing at least five times a day for the mini pill to be effective. If you're at the end of your pregnancy experience and you're only nursing one to two times a day, you will start to have staining and or you can get pregnant. So it's very important to on the mini pill, nurse at an erratic schedule. Do not put your baby on a schedule. It's not, I nurse at nine, 12, two, four. The way you stay clean longer is when you have an erratic one day it's 9.15, the next day the baby wants to eat 11.20, then the baby wants to eat at 3.15. So that's really important to know. Um, birth control risks, very important. If you're an AB, you should not be on the birth of the, any of the birth control pills because ABs have a blood clotting problem. We have too much platelets. The pills can cause mood changes. Um, so it's very important to know that if you are on a pill and you are having mood changes, your doctor's gonna say it's not associated, it's just postpartum, it's not associated, it's just something in your relationship. And it can really be associated with um, the pill. I wanna talk very quickly about the IUD. Again, these are women that for some reason I have Rahmana. Sometimes husbands are going through chemo and the women cannot get pregnant and it's dangerous. I have women that hemorrhaged after a birth. So again, as a firm woman, I'm not encouraging birth control. That's not what this lecture is about. This lecture is staying healthy as we have our challenges. But you cannot put in an IUD before three months because your uterus is the size of a watermelon, repeating, repeating, shrinks down to the size of a pear, lives down here, 
ascends back up to its resting spot. So if you put in your IUD at the three month mark, you're gonna have less staining, less cramping and less problems. I don't know why doctors and midwives put it in at, at six weeks, it baffles my mind. There was a whole group of women that were coming to me. They all got their IUD in at six, six weeks because they wanted to be clean. They wanted to resume proper intimacy and they were staining for the next three months. It's better to wait three months, get it in and have no staining. Um, I'm more of a fan of the copper non-hormonal IUD. I find that the IUD with hormones for some women, it's okay, but see, I don't want women's periods to stop. So when you take the the hormonal IUD, your menstruation can stop, and women are like, "Oh, I'm so happy! I don't have to go to mikvah." But then your body's thrown into a perimenopause menopause state. Women up until age 52, 54 are supposed to menstruate every month. That's the way Hashem created it, and I hate, hate so passionately. When you take a birth control pill and the doctor says, okay, you don't have to go off the off days and women have a period every three months, that's a huge cause for Yenamachla and also mental issues. So that is not a good idea. And we never want to get those, um, we never want to get those um, injections. The Nuva ring is also something I'm quite upset about. It can shut down your milk supply if you're breastfeeding within 24 hours. Um, I feel it's too much hormones up against your cervix. The whole thing is scary to me. Again, speaking to a rub, I think a Kaya diaphragm or a well-fitted diaphragm. And then there's this new um, contraceptive gel called Fexi, which my clients are really finding not itchy, um, doesn't make them itchy, doesn't make their husbands itchy. So if you're waiting medically, because you need to use a birth control, if you're waiting until the three month mark to get in your IUD, using either Fexi or a diaphragm is a very good idea. Again, this is not about birth control. It's about women's health. And if you need to take it, we need to ha not have your doctor make the quickest decision or your Rav, who I love, just take the pill. It's easy, less shy as well. You want to know, is there a history of breast cancer? Is there a history of uterine cancer? Did you get checked for the BRCA gene? Do you have a blood clotting problem? Do you have factor five, which is a blood clotting problem? Do you have factor seven? There's so many different things that can go wrong. So it's very important to do some research. Okay. Um, herbs for excess bleeding. Again, we're going to find the cause. Yarrow. Here we've got shepherd's purse, but I would use it only in tincture form. Cramp bark is for cramping. Black haw, donkway, red raspberry leaf. I said with a question mark. It depends on whether my client is very, very dry. If she's very dry vaginally, Red raspberry leaf is not a herb I'm going to recommend. Herbs for menstruation, for cramps, there are herbs that help very much with our teenage girls and our non-teenage girls. I have some menopausal women who their only symptom is that they have tons of uterine cramping without bleeding. Blackhaw, cramp bark, wild lettuce, wild yam. Um, these are just herbs that I just want you to hear the name because Herbs are considered people's medicine and herbs are our gift from a sham. And I just want women to start understanding about that. Herbs for menopause, women in menopause, hot flashes, excess bleeding, staining, dry vaginally, cramping, 
mood swings. We've got herbs like black cohosh. A lot of people call me up when they're going into labor and they say, I want some black and blue cohosh. No, 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 no. Blue cohosh and black cohosh are completely different herbs. They have completely different Latin names. They're not sister herbs. Blue cohosh is to bring on labor or help with miscarriages. Black cohosh is for pain and sadness. So if someone is perimenopause or any time in their lives where they're having uterine cramping during their periods, getting gloomy, black cohosh. We've got sage. Sage is an herb that dries up breast milk for my women that give birth to stillborns, Rahmana. But women during menopause, it can help with anxiety. Soy is a great product for people during menopause. Red clover, donkwai, and eating primrose oil. These are all herbs that help. So here's the conclusion. Blood gives life. Just to remember we talked about Blood is our bracha. We don't have a fake blood. We need blood. Something happens to you. You want a blood transfusion. Whenever we see blood, it's a question. Is this good? Of course it's good. I may not want to bleed right now, but I'm bleeding right now. What can I learn from this? Is this emotional bleeding? Do I have a polyp? Do I have a fibroid? Do I have a yeast infection? UTI? What's going on? It is normal to not be clean by your six-week visit. If you are, go to the mikvah, but chances are you're going to bleed again. And it's normal, 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 normal to have to go to the mikvah a couple times after you give birth. The six-week mark is just a number. It is normal to bleed again between eight and 12 weeks. Normal, normal, normal. I want to normalize bleeding. Herbs were given to us from a sham. They're here for us. They're inexpensive. Once you learn about herbs, you can use herbs with yourself and your children and your loved ones. Herbal education is 911 for Jewish women. And here's the most important thing. Don't listen to the internet. Much to your surprise, the internet did not graduate from medical school. So we're sitting there looking and looking and looking, looking. There's so much misinformation and fake information. So just remember, <clears throat> the, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was very into everybody getting a second opinion. So this is what happens now. Your midwife or your doctor, your lactation consultant gives a theoretic diagnosis and then you guys look on the internet. That's not a second diagnosis. You can go to one doctor, another doctor, one midwife, another midwife. It's very important to get a second opinion, especially when we're dealing with something serious, even a fibroid or a polyp. So you can join me whenever you want um, on Instagram. If you want to follow me, I put up little teeny videos um, that's one to two minutes on herbal information. You can, um, on my website, sign up with your email. You can email me. You can text message me. Please write your name and your question on the text message. And I look forward to answering any questions that you all may have. I want to thank Tarasa Mishpacha, mikvah.org for having this event. I want to thank Hasi for pulling this together. Thank you so much for your hard work. And now Hasi is going to open it up to questions. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Shahada. So, um, give me a second. Where are you? Oh, how did I lose you? Okay. Uh, I don't know why I keep on losing you. Okay. 
<laughs> there you go. All right, now we're side by side. Perfect. Okay, so let's go through the questions that are in the chat box. Um, whoever didn't send the questions yet, please make sure you send it to me directly. I'll be reading them now, and we're going to go through all the questions. Um, again, we have time for. Okay, so first of all, you mentioned a gel. Can you say that slowly again, please? Was it Flexi Gel? Flexi. I think it's spelled P H E X X I. Okay, it's a contraceptive gel. Of course, speak to your rub. I'm not posketing anything here. I'm just trying to be informative, but that seems to be the best on the market today without many side effects. Okay. I mean, of course, I want to just give a general disclaimer. I may have said it in the beginning or not, but I'm going to say it again. This class is for informational purposes. Sarah Khanna said, you always get that second opinion. You always need to go ask your own doctor, your own medical provider before you implement or change anything that you're doing. And I thank you, Sarah Khanna, for the incredible wealth of information that you gave here. Let's go through a few of the questions that are um, going on. Okay. So number one, is a random intensity in period symptoms a concern? Like, if your period begins to feel like how you feel in early pregnancy, is that a concerning sign for your period, for your cycle? No, I mean, there's so much to discuss that we barely had time and I went over by 15 minutes, sorry ladies. But usually when you have what is called liver congestion, you'll have more PMS symptoms. Um, liver congestion means that you're eating some fats that, you, fats that you can't break down and you'll have what is called a fatty liver and your estrogen takes longer to convert in the liver. Also, if you're a blood type B, you tend to, or AB, you tend to get more premenstrual um, symptoms. Um, blood type Bs and ABs can feel the week before they get their period, during their period, the two weeks after their period, and then they feel like it's coming again. So a lot depends on your blood type and your strength of your liver. Okay. Um, someone asked, my acupuncturist told me that licorice will have a cooling effect on my uterus. What, what is your opinion on that? I mean, I guess if your uterus is hot, meaning it's got a lot of blood flow, maybe some pelvis congestion, then licorice can definitely do that. I don't use licorice alone in my practice. I combine many herbs and licorice is one of the components, but it is an herb we use with female health. You mentioned a few um, herbs that will boost the mood for a, for a menopausal woman or a perimenopausal woman. Um, would you, do you have any herbs that you would suggest to help a woman with emotional imbalances that are, at, always at a specific stage of the cycle. Like as you know, like in my second day of my period or two days before my period is arriving, I usually expect this down mood. Would there be something I would Yeah, think and you know, I'm, I'm sitting here like shocked because I probably spent over five hours making this PowerPoint because I do that when I make PowerPoints. I change the pictures and change my ideas. And I can't believe that I didn't mention the herb motherwort. So motherwort is probably my favorite herb on the planet. It's for hormonal gloominess. It's like when that black cloud is coming and you're like, ah, don't envelop me. Motherwort is phenomenal. It's for women of all ages, that little hormonal 10 year old girl, that 15, horm 15 year old male hormonal, pre-menopause, post-menopause, motherwort is for gloominess. And I'm so glad you brought that up. I feel like there should be an IV on every corner of motherwort. You're like walking down the street going, oh my God, I'm ready to lose it. Motherwort and go your merry way. So motherwort is my favorite herb. Okay. 
Thank you. Uh, what do you suggest for women with factor five to improve blood clotting? That's a very specific question. Oh, wow. Well, factor five is a blood clotting issue specific for very common with Ashkenazi Jewish women, you can tend to have more miscarriages. There is a concern of um, excess bleeding um, after you give birth, and that's very specific. I can't really give out information um, per se, because I'd have to take a little bit more of the history. I wish I could. But I, whoever has Factor Five, I'm really glad that you found it out. I think we have much more Factor Five in our communities, and I feel like it's a, it's a diagnosis that needs to happen more. Okay. Blackstrap molasses. Blackstrap molasses is safe and that can bring your iron levels to a good energetic level, yes. What would you suggest for short cycles or missing ovulation due to low AMH egg reserve? So short cycles could be your normal cycle. If you're saying that you're ovulating before you go to the mikvah, um, you wanna be in touch with Rabbi Omen about that. He has different ways of approaching that. Um, through halacha, but that's the case to come in with an herbalist and sit down and um, figure that out. It's There's not an easy answer. Um, I would probably give herbs like chaseberry, Chinese peony, um, shatavari, and um, other herbs like that to help build up um, the cycle in a better fashion. We're getting like so many questions. I guess you're gonna let me know when you say you wanna stop, but we'll just keep on going. Where do you get kosher chlorella? Um, Kosher chlorella, I mean, I would just Google it on Amazon. Um, if not, you can use chlorophyll, which has a hexure on it. They're very similar in their action. So just Google it and find it online. Great. What to do with PCOS? Polycystic ovary, everybody has it on a scale of one to 10. So many women have it. 10 are women that really have hair on their chest, hair on their back breaking out all the time, very high testosterone levels. And then we have women with polycystic ovaries on a scale of one or two. It depends on how the polycystic ovaries are affecting them. Marjoram is a spice that's also an herb that helps balance that. But I need more specifics because everybody has different cases of polycystic ovaries. I'm going to say also here, you know, um, Sarhana mentioned her book, Mutopia, that's going to have a lot of herbal um, recommendations. I have it. Uh, for all types of situations. Um, so if you're very specific, you know, go ahead and look at the book or get the book to, you know, and we're going to stay on topic within women's health specifically. I know we have some questions on other uh, health issues, but then go get the book. So just to uh, consolidate which questions I'm going to be asking here. Okay. Is a 26 day cycle normal? Is there a normal, is there a number range for a normal length cycle? Yeah. Normal range to me is 23 to 43 days. That's normal for me. We're getting past 43 days, I'm concerned. We're getting lower than 23, I'm concerned, but 23 to 43 is perfectly normal in my book. Okay, I have a 16 year old daughter who only gets her period like once a year. What herbs would you suggest? And I'm gonna add to that, what, what kind of action would you suggest? I would suggest working with an herbalist um, and possibly an acupuncturist, as long as it's a good one. Um, but I would like her to start getting it more than once a year. So I have a whole plan in my office. I mean, it's, you know, it's too long to go and do here, but you know, my philosophy is like this, like when women come to me at 18 years old, they've never had their period, then it's really hard. We can 
hopefully get it if there's nothing wrong. But as long as she's gotten her period, we just say it's kind of missing. It's missing the other month. So we need to find it or re-invite it back into the, into the world. But as long as she's had it, we're in good shape. So I know that in our discussion, you know, before we, uh, so to speak, described how we're presenting this lecture, right? There is, there are times that you're integrating, you know, herbal medicine with conventional medicine. So yes. if, if a 16 if year old is only getting your period once a year, would you say that she also needs to see a regular doctor or well, not? I mean, I would like her to get a sonogram, see if she's got polycystic ovary syndrome. I would like to see if she has a large cyst on her ovary. Sure. I want to see what her iron levels are, her B12 levels. So I really, I mean, I'm not against conventional medicine. I like to integrate conventional with alternative, like you said. So sure, I'd love, I, the more blood tests, the more CAT scans, the more MRIs, the more knowledgeable I am. I love it. Love it. Okay. Great. Um, okay. What to do if you're staining after intimacy? So when you're with your husband and you're intimate, and then that's when you seem to be staining. Is there something you mentioned a few yeah. situations that might lead to yeah. that? Okay. Yeah, you you have to speak to a, a bedecus to go in there and see what's going on. Like I said, it could be a yeast infection on the cervix. It could be a skin tag. You could be very, very sensitive. You could have something called um, lichtins. Um, uh, lichen sclerosis, which is a breakdown of the tissues in the vaginal canal. There's certain creams, including a steroid cream. I know I'm an herbalist that can really help with that condition. So I'd like to get a diagnosis and then treat it. Okay. Um, you mentioned how once someone has one or two or three babies, it's very unlikely to have a five-day cycle. Did you just mean immediately postpartum that you're, you're going to bleed that? Or did you mean that from then on, your cycles are always going to be longer? From then on, like, forget it. The five days are over, gone, not going to happen again, in my opinion. Okay. Is, is that statistic? I'm just curious. Or is that like, like, is that like, is that from your experience? Is that a statistic? No, that's what, that's what their midwives are taught. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to have a shorter cycle. Right. Not going to happen. I mean, there's always going to be exceptions, you know? So those are the ones that are going to be on Facebook going, oh my gosh, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I only have a five day cycle and everybody else is going to this. Really? That's normal. Again, I would say after two babies, that's abnormal. I would put that woman in the abnormal category, not the normal. <laughs> All right. Um, if you have a light blood flow or you have a very short period, is that a problem? It depends. I mean, we like at least four days of bleeding and we like it to be a little heavier rather than lighter. So that's something. So then we can use herbs to build the blood. Um, there's certain herbs, but I, I'd like it to be a little bit heavier. Okay. Um, so another person says, you know, they have permission from the Rav, they have the Hetar to, to wait at least nine months after a miscarriage um, to have a baby and they are on the mini pill. So now they're hearing from you that may not be the best choice. And so now they're a little concerned. What would be the best way to protect themselves? I'd be pretty darn concerned. It's not something I would trust if you're not breastfeeding. If you're breastfeeding, it's fine. But if you just had a miscarriage and go on the mini pill, that's a bad message for the brain. Your brain just had a miscarriage and then you're right away pregnant again. And the body, it, no, I, I would use another form of birth control. Okay. So please reach out to your practitioner and the yes. rest. Figure out yes. a different thing. Okay. Is it normal for a period to start for around for to stop for 12 hours and then begin again? Is it normal for there to be periods of on and off during your five, yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, again, if it's happening and then you're like bleeding for eight days or nine days, then we want to make the blood 
come out. Remember, the lining of the uterus is there. It needs to drop. If it's taking a break, I'm taking a coffee break, maybe going to the beach, getting some sun. We kind of can say like, let's just, you know, let's just do what we need to do in a timely manner. So I would probably use herbs. But, you know, again, to not bleed for four hours, five hours, that's normal. But 12 hours, you're going to then be, be unclean an extra day or two. If your periods keep changing, but not radically, is there something that you could take to lengthen the times between periods? I know you mentioned the lemon water and the bioflavonoids, but you didn't seem very uh, confident in them. That's not the way I need to go. I mean, you know, <laughs> what I tell my clients all the time is, you know, like, Every day we eat something a little different for breakfast, or we eat a whole tuna fish sandwich, then we eat a half a tuna fish sandwich, and then we drink this, and the next day we're not so thirsty. So like our bodies don't run on such a perfect schedule. So I think it's very normal to not have such a consistent period. You know, we're not living so normally. Most of us are not like out on the farm, exercising a lot, getting a lot of vitamin D, out with the goats and sheep, going to sleep when the sun goes down, certainly not me. Waking up when the sun comes up, certainly not me. You know what I mean? So we're kind of living away from the teva that Hashem put in the world. I mean, unless you're on a kibbutz or a moshav in Israel, but other than that, we're living kind of a weird life. <laughs> Okay, um, I was asked, where can you buy Fexi? So I guess the question is, is it an over-the-counter um, item? You know what? I, I It used to be prescription. Maybe it's now over-the-counter. I'm not sure. For a while, it was prescription. Okay. I had a baby four weeks ago, um, and I seem to be bleeding every time I, I, I clean the house or do anything like, you know, beyond resting. What can I do to try to get to the mikvah by six weeks? I don't think you want to get to the mikvah by six weeks. I think that's that's an unrealistic goal. And I think that bleeding is normal. That's what you, the, the blood is actually constricting the uterus. It's actually giving it life, giving it vitality, doing its refua. So, you know, I mean, like I wouldn't be like, you know, schlepping books cases air of Pesach, you know what I mean? I would, you know, but normal cleaning and bleeding a little, I mean, you know, if you can afford to be in bed for, you know, six or eight weeks and everyone else is going to take care of you, you know, yay, but that's not most of us. So six weeks is an unrealistic in my opinion. You had also mentioned the, the eight week pregnancy. You're saying that everyone should expect a bleed at about eight weeks postpartum? Eight to 12 weeks. Yeah, certainly past your first child when you're up to baby number two, for sure by baby number three, but very often by baby number two, for sure. Okay. Uh, which books do you recommend in order to study more about hormones and how they're responsible for the different phenomena during your cycle? In addition to Mootopia, do you have any other books on your recommended reading list? Um, books that I like? Well, I like Rosemary Gladstar's book on um, women's health. Gosh, I don't have the thing in front of me. Any books by Aviva Rahm, any books by Mary uh, Rosemary Gladstar, Susan Weed, Susan, S-U-S-U-N Weed has some really good books. Um, those are the herbalists that I really respect and like their, their research. There's also a woman named Sheila Kitzinger. She's not an herbalist, but her books on postpartum and pregnancy, she's a, a Jewish woman from England. I, I mean, she's, she's still alive. She's like, close to a hundred. She, she was around a very long, for a very long time writing books. So Sheila Kitzinger is a great resource also. 
Okay, where can we buy tinctures? Well, you're organized and you sell tinctures, right? I sell tinctures. There's a company called, I don't have it in front of me now, Herbalist and Alchemist. And Baruch Hashem, they have a hexer on it. They have an okay parav. And um, David Winston, I'm looking in my bag here. David Winston is one of my teachers and he gets, he makes a great product. So I really, hold on, I have a bottle here. La, 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 ta-da, ta-da. So I really, this is a focus formula. Who, who out there can't use a focus formula? Where's my camera? Hold on here. Can you see that? This is Herbalist and Alchemist. I don't know if it's so clear, but H&A, Herbalist and Alchemist. Kosher, Parev, vegan, vegetarian, good quality, like it a lot. Okay. Um, so if I think one of these conditions apply to me and you mentioned the herbs we should take, how do we know how to take it, how much to take? Is this all like, do you need individual guidance? Yeah, so what I really wanted to do in this lecture is just empower people, educate people, let people be exposed to herbs, let people fall in love with herbs, want to bring herbs into their lives. But, you know, we're missing what is called that wise women, you know, approach to herbal medicine. We don't have our midwives from the shtetl. You know, there's very few of us around anymore. So I would say to start reading, um, my book, Mootopia, which even though it's about moods, <laughs> who's not moody out there, but I do talk about a tincture and how much dosage. And the one good thing about working with an herbalist is they want to empower you to be able to um, know how to use the herbs. Like we don't want people to be addicted to us. That's, that's not what an herbalist does. A real herbalist educates you on your genetics, your DNA, what your family's like, what you're like, integrate these five or six herbs into your life. You don't need to know about a hundred herbs. You need to know about, you know, the five or six herbs that are for you. So, you know, this is just getting your feet wet. This is just starting that education. Okay. Um, have you heard of melatonin as an option for delaying ovulation? No, <clears throat> that's so fascinating. I've never heard that. All right. Well, okay. I mean, I, I'm kind of a fan of melatonin as we get slightly older, because I think most of us really need it. It's hard to shut our brains down. Uh, but no, I've never heard that. Fascinating. Okay. Now I'm going to be up all night researching that. Thanks a lot. Okay. <laughs> so no fun. sleep okay. again. <laughs> all right. You mentioned BRCA mutations when you talked about birth control pills. Is there any is there anything else that someone with those mutations in their family um, should, is there anything else they should be aware of besides for the regular screening um, or checks that they would need to be doing? Yeah, I mean, are you talking regarding birth control or just generally in life? Well, I, you know, I'm not sure how the person phrased the question, but she said, you know, you mentioned it in connection to birth control pills for BRCA. She's like, well, oh my goodness. So I, is there anything else I need to be worried about besides my birth control pills and my regular screening? With BRCA, you're saying with BRCA, the BRCA gene? Yeah. I mean, we don't really understand the BRCA gene so well, but certainly if you have it in your family, you need to, you know, exercise eat healthy food, go see a marriage counselor so you don't have shown bias issues, you know, learn to take a break and relax, something I've never learned in my life. You know what I mean? Get some vitamin D in the sun. Like you have to be a little bit extra cautious with your health. Like I wouldn't stress myself out at the candle at both ends. 
Right. Okay. Um, the name of the herb for gloominess is motherwort. So if you just spell motherwort. Motherwort. Uh, yes, I should have a sign. M-O-T-H-E-R-W-O-R-T. Like I, I should like have it across my chest. Like I love motherwort. <laughs> I think every woman should have motherwort in their house. What are ways to shorten a period and how many days before the cycle can you bring it on? I guess. How many, how well, many I, to, the cycle to, do you start taking whatever it is you're taking in order to, to shorten the period? To shorten the cycle, I like you to start taking herbs on day two of your period and take it day two, three, four to bleed heavier. Okay. We're, all right. Uh, okay. We're back to motherwort. Where do we find it? Well, you can get it from Herbalist and Alchemist online. Um, I do have gallons of it in my office <laughs> because everyone needs it. And then in my book, Mootopia, I do speak a lot about Mother Ward and explain its uses and its wonderful benefits for our brains. Okay. Uh, is there anything we could take to promote ovulation? Um, yeah, that's kind of a consult because I'd have to see food, exercise, stress levels. Yeah, there's always things to increase your ovulation. Thank God. Is there a safe way to suppress a woman's cycle if she needs a break from it? Like you mentioned that you don't like linking pills and you mentioned that you don't like when people are like missing their periods. No. Okay. If God gave you the monthly period, then you don't need the break. from it. This is what I say to my clients and I didn't create the world. Because if I created the world, ladies, I would give birth by unzipping a zipper. I'd have ounces on our breast. I'd have a seat through a window in the baby's stomach. And I'd have babies eat twice a day, 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. So like this world is the way it is. But listen, the season cycle, the yum type cycles, Shabbos cycles, the moon cycles, and women's cycle. So if that moon is going around every month, and our Shabbos is coming every week. It may be sad to say, but women also need to cycle. If they're in their years of cycling, they need to cycle. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, someone asked about acupuncturists. We have referrals, mikvah.org forward slash referrals. Please check there um, for referrals in the New York area um, and around the world, actually, quite a few. Um, how can you postpone early menopause? You feel like you're maybe you're getting your perimenopause, you want to delay it. Are there herbs to take to postpone that? Such an interesting question. I mean, again, that would be personal one-on-one. -on -one. I, I don't know, like if your body's doing it, your body's doing it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can, you can help ease the symptoms. You can lessen the intensity of it. That's for sure. Okay. okay. Um, someone asked if you need a hexer for herbal tinctures over the counter. Again, I'm not a Rav, by the way, in case any of you were wondering, um, but um, Herbalist and Alchemist has a hexer on it. The truth is, is that all the grain alcohol in the United States that use, it's used for commercial has a hexer on it. So all the herbal companies, as long as it says cane alcohol, cane, C-A-N-E, like sugar cane, they're all using the same grain alcohol that has a hexer on it, by the way. 99% of herbalists are just taking a plant like this. Can you see these plants? And pouring and pour grain alcohol over it and straining it. So what I love about herbs are there's three ingredients, plant, grain alcohol, 
and water. You know what I'm saying? It's not like a vitamin that has like a hundred million ingredients. There's no flavoring, there's no coloring. So you can speak to your local Rav, um, but basically when, you know, cause I have Shluchim all over the world, Hashem, and if they can find a, a, a cane alcohol with an herb, usually the Rabbanim allow them to take it. But it's chametz. That's my thought. My it's not chametz. So we used to make it out of grain alcohol, chametz. Then it was for years out of corn alcohol, kidneyous. Now it's actually sugar cane alcohol. Oh, okay, cane. Okay, okay. So it's not cane. grain alcohol. Not grain. Cane. Alcohol. cane. So again, a lot of my clients that have more serious conditions. Again, you have to speak to your local rub, but a lot of the rabbinim allow clients to use an herbal product that has cane alcohol with a heksher on Pesach, but that's individual cases. Okay. If you use a menstrual cup, someone mentions, maybe that will make it only five days. Have you have you had any experience with that? You saw the, I, who's ever saying that there was a picture of the menstrual cup. There was just, I started running out of time and having like a panic attack. Um, but interesting, maybe, I mean, I am of the opinion. I mean, maybe it's a little old fashioned and I feel kind of young and funky and not old yet. I'll let you know when I do. But like, I feel like we should be using pads to let everything out because when you put a tampon up there, it's kind of keeping the blood in. And the whole point is for it to go out. So, you know, obviously, you know, if you're a nurse and, and you're on your feet for, you know, 12 hour shifts and you don't want to stain, of course, a tampon. But generally, I like women to bleed. That's the whole concept of the cup. What would you suggest for anxiety, for the anxiety during spotting? I guess you're spotting, you're getting anxiety. You had mentioned that, you know, that's it's anxiety producing. So right. there's for the anxiety itself. So let's be basimcha about blood. We love blood. Blood is our friend. We need blood to live. Blood is not negative. It's something we need. There's something we need to learn from the blood, either it's physical or emotional. But my second favorite, you know, if I wore signs is skull cap. There's an herb called Skullcap for nervousness and anxiety. And it's one of the best herbs on the planet. Can you mix Skullcap and motherwort? Yes, of course you can, because you can be gloomy and nervous. But Skullcap is for nervousness, agitation, irritability. And it's like my second favorite herb on the planet. Okay, um, next two questions, I'm gonna combine them together. Uh, okay, so my I get my period spotty for a couple of days, and then it's a bigger flow for six days, and then it's spotty for another couple of days, or I get my period and it stops for for twelve hours, like you said, it's not so great, and then it starts again, and it seems to be taking six to eight um, days, which or longer. Um, I've been taking bioflavonoids, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. My gynecologist says there's no nothing medically wrong. So what can I do? So again, you asked the question about bioflavonoids and vitamin C, which is not bad, but it doesn't usually cure the problem. So again, I would check her iron levels and her B12 levels. They're probably off. Again, normal range, what is normal? Normal of B12 is, is 600 to 1200. If you're 602, you might, might need to be up to 1200. Um, so I would check the iron levels and the B12. And then if that continues, you can work with an herbalist or I would certainly like the second I see that staining, take herbs to bring on bleeding like those couple days before are like a waste of time. It means the lining of the uterus is there, means it needs to fall, but why is it delayed? I don't know. 
what's going on in her life that she's, you know, holding back, hesitating, not saying what's going on in her life. You know, we'd have to figure out what's going on. Okay. Um, you mentioned earlier that you don't love the Nuvarine so much. I think it interferes with breastfeeding. So if someone says I'm on the Nuvarine and I am breastfeeding and I'm okay, should I be worried that this isn't good for my baby or me if I have sufficient supply? No, if you have a su sufficient supply, whoa, weird, Baruch Hashem. I mean, <clears throat> I'm just not thrilled with putting all those hormones by your poor little cervix. Like, I feel like it's just too much. I mean, if it's working for you now, continue, but I would really consider something else with your next baby. I, I, I'm shocked and happy for her, but I, I don't love it. You mentioned you don't like the mini pill. Is it, you don't like the mini pill ever or you don't like the mini pill at six weeks? Someone mentioned, you know, I'm on it because of many miscarriages in my past. I'm not breastfeeding at all. Do you have an issue with the mini pill overall? Do you not like the progesterone that's coming on with it or? Well, I mean, the mini pill can be life-saving for women that are breastfeeding if there's reasons that they can't get pregnant. Um, and there are a lot of reasons women can't. Um, and the mini pill can be a bracha. I just don't like women to be on pills, you know, for 20 years of their lives. I mean, if she's having chronic miscarriages, there's just a lot of testing that needs to be done. Factor five is one of them. Um, factor seven, you, you, there's so many things to check. I mean, if she's okay on the progesterone only pill and not staining, I mean, I guess it's okay, but I don't know that it's solving anything. Like, 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 like it's not solving anything. Okay. Um, is there something to take to help nurse clean? Nursing clean, really the first six weeks of your baby really kind of sets your hormones for the next 12 to 24 months. So the rules are nurse on demand. Don't put your baby on a schedule. Don't sleep train your baby. If your baby sleeps through the night, Baruch Hashem, but don't sleep train the baby. Um, high protein diet um, and pacifier use only in emergencies, not that frequently. And if you go to a Kimberter home, you kind of kind of ruin the whole thing. So it's really those first six weeks that really plan. And again, B's are going to be different than A's. A's are different than O's. O's are different than A-B's. Any herbs you can take for a cervical colic? Uh, no, I get it removed. It's an easy removal. Just get it removed. Then we could give you herbs to clean up after, but you don't want that polyp hanging out there. Kick it out of the body. Goodbye. Go to someone else. Um, is there a way to delay our period of herbs before a trip? We want to push it off a little bit. I guess uh, herbal re replacement for something like a Justin. No, 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 you can't. Because you can't fix what's not broken. And a, a regularly cycling, cycling healthy woman, herbs are not going to, they only enhance health. They don't change healthy habits. Okay. Since we mentioned melatonin about ovulation, would you, as an herbalist, do you recommend, are you pro or against giving melatonin to kids? For I don't, I don't <laughs> love it for kids. <laughs> I don't love it for kids, but I will recommend it for kids. Like, especially those boys that all of a sudden go from elementary school to Masifta. Like, man, they are just not used to getting up so early and being in school so many hours and they're not exercising. And, oh my gosh, it's so hard for them, for sure. Um, if you fly from here to Australia for a chasana, sure. On a daily basis, it's not the best solution for kids. I'd have to understand the situation a little more. 
Okay. Um, is there a minimal dose of motherwort? You said everybody needs it and everyone should have it. So is it everyone. like across the board? Everyone should take it? How much do they take? Yeah, 25 drops diluted in a little juice or water since this wasn't like a complete herbal lecture. Hold on, hold on. I have my tincture. I'm going to take a little shot glass. I don't have any shot glasses here. I'm going to put a little bit of grape juice in it. I'm going to put between 25 to 35 drops. There's my trying to get in front of the camera. Whoops, 25 to 35 drops. Got that on my computer. And I would um, eat that two to three times a day diluted. Okay. And I love it. Love it, love it, love it. And the good thing about motherwort, sorry, I'm just protecting my little computer here. Um, good, thing, good thing about motherwort is you can take it for a week if you're falling apart, then you feel together, you can stop. Then something happens and you fall apart again, you can take it. Then you're not quite falling apart, but you want to not fall apart, you can take it. And you're not really falling apart, but you're almost having a crisis. You know, you can stop and start melatonin. There's no side effects. There's no withdrawals from it. You said melatonin, but I believe you meant motherwort, right? Motherwort, skullcap, same thing. Either one. You can take it as needed. Yeah. Right. Um, back to the mini pill. Your main concern was about losing breast milk or are there other dangers or concerns for it regarding health? I guess. You Long-term use of birth control pill causes cancer. That's what clinical studies show. And strokes in young women. So the first thing they look at and the, one of the main reasons for strokes in women under 40 is a birth control pill. I'm not thrilled with it. Um, I, I know that we don't have many options, but you've got to be very weary. You've got to know what your history is, what your blood type is. And again, if you're fertile from 25 to 48 and you have, you know, six kids, you still have a lot of hours and time um, to work on that, you know, I'm not a big fan of it. There's, there's got to be other solutions. Okay. Um, have you, of course, if someone needs to be in birth control, please speak to your rub medical provider. Must of course, be. of course, of course. Yes, have anxiety, if you need to be taking it, you need to be taking yes. it. Yes. Okay. Yes. Have you ever heard of using wild yam for birth control? Oh, interesting. So wild yam does not work for birth control. Wild yam is the herb that the birth control pill was first made out of. They took wild jam, which is a yam type food, and they turned it into the birth control pill. But wild jam we use actually to help with fertility, to help women get pregnant in herb form. And it's also an antispasmodic, so we use it for pain and cramping. But no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, I don't know everything, but my research on it is it is not a birth control pill. Okay, thank you. Another person asks again about, you know, an irregular cycle and can herbs really work? And if so, which ones? So I'm gonna say that you probably need to get, you know, get a consult for your own personal uh, health history. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, everybody's gonna be different with their cycles, yes. Okay, um, what can cause someone not to nurse clean besides genetics or diet? Like if their nursing is going well and their baby's not on a schedule and they're not nursing clean anyways, is there something specific that they're supposed to be? It depends on their blood type because eating healthy, in my opinion, it's very blood type, gen, you know, um, it depends. I, I don't know what healthy is. You know what I'm saying? If you've got a blood type O that's on a vegetarian vegan diet, she's going to stain all the time because blood type O's need a very high protein and their main protein needs to be animal. If we've got an AB that's eating a very healthy diet and having chicken every day, she's gonna have liver congestion and she's gonna start bleeding. So that's very specific for the person. Can you give spot tap to a 12 year old? Oh yeah, yeah, 
Six-year-old, five-year-old, for sure. Twelve-year-old, oh yeah. Oh, the same thing. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yep, any, yep, yep. Any herbal remedies to heal the thyroid? Yeah, I mean, you have to just know whether it's hypo or hyper. We use hype for hypo. We use ashwagandha for hyper. Bugle weed. Yeah, it's like a medicine. Yeah. One thing about healing the thyroid, it really, you should really work with a professional. But yes, we have herbs for the thyroid. Okay. Someone mentioned the diaphragm. Yes, Hannah had mentioned a couple of diaphragm options. That's what yes. the sexy gel. You use contraceptive together with a diaphragm. Okay. Um, of course, in consultation with a rub. Um, I nursed on demand. Okay. Now let's see. <coughs> Okay, so I'm not understanding. You recommend the menstrual cup or you don't recommend the menstrual cup? You said you don't recommend tampons. You do like pads. Menstrual cup falls where? Yeah, yeah, with pads. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's falling. It's not absorbing. Yeah, menstrual cup is great. Is motherwort fine to take when you're breastfeeding and pregnant? A motherwort is not theoretically suggested while you're pregnant. I still don't get it. Skullcap, you could drink bottles of it when you're pregnant. Um, if you become pregnant while taking motherwort, it's not dangerous, but they suggest not taking it during pregnancy. Okay. If you can't have estrogen in your birth control or the other birth controls that are better. So yes, there's a diaphragm, there's the gel, consult a doctor. Okay. Um, one last point. Hmm. I think I may have gone through all 50. Yay! Questions. Oh, no, no, wait a second. We're going to get the recording before the org media. One second. Before the org media, the recording will be up as a show by tomorrow. Along Sarhana has generously um, given her PowerPoint to for me to give as a PDF, as a handout for you all to, to write down, you know, those herbs and all those great points. Um, hmm. One second. I feel like I missed a question. Uh, I'm trying not to miss a question. Okay. I have Stanny before my period. Again, Oh no, we, we did that one. I think we're done. I think we're great. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Yeah, um, it's going to be up tomorrow. Yeah, it's, it's going to be up on mikvah.org. Yeah, yeah mikvah.org forward slash media. It may not even be up tomorrow. Might even have it up with, really soon. We'll see. Uh, by tomorrow, it will definitely be up. And you. You can follow us on your favorite podcast platforms on Apple, on Google, on Spotify. Thank you, Bela. Okay, and the PDF for the handout will be linked underneath the video on mikvah.org. You need to go to mikvah.org forward slash media to and click on the video underneath there. I will have the handout linked. So thank you so much, Sarahana. This was incredible. Thank you, Hasi. Again, everybody, please reach out to your medical providers <clears throat> if you're going to make any changes. Uh, get Sarahana's book, Mutopia, and um, have a great night. Thank you, Hasi. Thank you, ladies, for joining. Be well. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's recording. Please take a moment to leave a rating or a review to help others find the podcast. We welcome you to support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. For feedback, please email podcast at mikvah.org. Have a wonderful day.